supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars unforgettable. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Shane Van Gisbergen is the 2022 Supercars champion. The Kiwi sealed the title with victory on the Gold Coast on Saturday before taking another win on Sunday that helped Triple Eight to the team's championship. In other Gold Coast action, Nathan Hearn clean-swept the Tasman Series races while Harry Jones was crowned Carrera Cup champion. The Porsche race wins went to Callum Hedge and Aaron Love. Down the road at Sydney Motorsport Park, Valentino Estudi wrapped up the Australian Formula 4 title. The 2023 Supercars grid appears to be set with Cameron Hill, soon to be confirmed as the second driver at Matt Stone Racing. The Formula Ford and Carrera Cup champion will be the second rookie in the Supercars field next year alongside Matt Payne. Peter Adderton has ramped up his campaign to get hold of the 26th team's racing charter by agreeing to buy a Gen 3 Camaro from Triple Eight. Should he be granted the license, the car will be raced by Richie Stanaway in Boost Mobile Colours and Supercars next season. There is competition for the TRC though, with Blanchard Racing Team thought to be the favourite to secure it for a second entry. The plan is for that expansion to take place in 2024. Supercars is drawing up a framework to deal with fan abuse both at events and online. The idea is that guidelines of what does and doesn't constitute abuse will be set and fans that fall on the wrong side of those guidelines will face consequences such as bans. Grant McPherson will start his new role at Grove Racing this week after being granted an early release from Walkinshaw Andretti United. Speaking of WAU, the team is understood to have locked in Optus as the major backer of Chaz Mostert's car for another two years. MW Motorsport will continue in Super 2 next season. The team will take over the Ford Mustangs currently being used by Grove Racing, which are actually owned by Kelly Racing. Kelly Racing, meanwhile, has been busy building, developing a race-ready, factory-supported Ford Ranger Raptor that will compete in the stock class at the Baja 1000 later this month. And the Lamborghini Super Trofeo Asia Series has added the bend to its 2023 calendar. It will be the first time the category has raced in Australia. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that was last seen leaving Surface Paradise in the Castrol Motorsport News podcast helicopter, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how did you pull up after your home race? Hello, Andrew. I certainly pulled up a bit better than a few of the cars did after Sunday, that's Ooh, for yeah. sure. But uh, yep. yeah, speaking of helicopters, I'm, I'm definitely still seeing uh, those two Boost Mobile uh, choppers in my sleep, so that's, uh, that's not a good thing. They certainly did plenty of laps around uh, around the Gold Coast over the weekend in the sky. There's no doubt about that. Um, look, there was plenty going on on the streets of Surface Paradise. It was amazing to have the event back, and it certainly created a few talking points. There's no doubt about that. Uh, on Saturday, Shane Van Gisbergen sealed the 2022 Supercars title, and he did so in style after running down early leader David Reynolds and then cruising to victory. 
No great surprise that he won the race and no great surprise that he won the title given he only needed to finish 24th or better in one of the four races left for the year heading into last weekend. But, Stefan, what was surprising was his response to a question in the press conference on Saturday evening about his future. He outlined that he does want to, he does want and plan to stay in supercars uh, but said that he won't commit to a new deal with Triple Eight until Gen 3 is up and running and he's confident that the cars will provide a good racing product. It's understood his current... Triple A deal runs until the end of next season, so he'll be able to get a good look at the at, at how Gen Three works. Um, Stefan, what did you make of, of those comments from Shane? Well, he certainly doesn't like Career Cup, does he? I mean, mm-hmm. he basically laid it out in two, made that pretty yeah. Clear. He laid it out in two parts. What will determine whether he's enjoying it or not, which is key to whether he wants to stay, and that's the need to fix the aero side of it, which, as we all know, Supercars has worked on with Gen Three but then also the need for there to be enough engineering freedom left team to team to make it interesting and not stale like Carrera Cup, as as he put it. So whether it's a close fight or a blowout like Saturday's race on the Gold Coast where he was just racing the gap behind on his dash trying to get it to 20 seconds doesn't actually seem to phase him too much. It's, it's no. these other things that he was talking about. Yeah, I mean, well, that's I, I asked him to clarify that. Like, are you talking about whether you're going to have a dominant car or whether guys are going to be able to race better, race you better, race anyone better? And and he that's when he talked about the likeness to career cup and having that engineering freedom. And I think that's actually a really important point. And I really hope um, as well that we don't lose that with Gen 3. Um, we must have revved up uh, David Reynolds by having him on the pod last week, Stefan, because his shootout lap was unreal on Saturday. And it was quite interesting in that same press comments we were just talking about. Listen to Shane talk about um, how much he enjoyed watching Dave driving when he was following and how well he was driving. Um, but they did have an issue in that Grove racing car in that Saturday race. They couldn't get the electric cool suit system working and boy was he in strife after the race. You know when the medical crew come to the press conference that the driver is struggling. Yeah, and you know when Dave Reynolds comes in eating a banana that he must be struggling too because I don't think that's part of the usual, what is it, all-protein diet that he yeah. seems to run. Those The medical crew must have denied him his recovery T-bone or whatever he would have wanted. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did have a lot to deal with in that race, like not only obviously the, the cool suit but the steering wheel issue. How bizarre yeah, was that? Yeah, that was amazing. That two of the five bolts, I think, were, were loose and he was worried about the thing falling off. So he did a mega job to, to finish second in that race. And, and as you said before, his his pole was uh, pole position was pretty incredible. It sure was. Uh, Sunday was a wild day, Stefan, for a couple of reasons. There were two big talking points. One was the lap one incident between Will Davison and Shane Van Gisbergen, and the other was the monster pile-up a few laps later. Let's start with that Davo versus SVG incident. Uh, if you didn't see it, they basically arrived at the turn one slash two slash, I think, three chicane. I forget how many corners are rammed into each chicane on the Gold Coast, but they basically got there next to each other. Um, two doesn't go into one around that corner, so Davo decided at some point that he was going to cut the chicane and took off in the lead. Um, Shane seemed to expect Davo to redress the position, and he looked to actually back himself up to the field, which... I don't think got covered off in the press comments, but it did look a lot like he was sort of hoping that that was going to get redressed and he might be able to send him backwards a few more spots than he really needed to. Um, But race control took a look at it and decided it was play on. Shane wasn't happy about it. Davo thought it was fine, probably fairly predictable. That's probably fairly predictable. But anyway, here's what they had to say. Well, I haven't analysed it yet, but in my view in the car, it, it felt like he got off the brake, but maybe he got a hit behind. I'm not sure. But he got a really good start and um, we were side by side and I had room to give him room to go around. But when he saw he 
when I saw he took the straight, I, I took the apex, but um, yeah, then he just came out way in front instead of side by side. So yeah, it is what it is. We have this argument every year. I can't fix it. I just know um, I fixed it after the restart. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. So um, no, I definitely didn't get off the break. I got a better start. Um, went pretty deep, was a bit ahead on turn in. Um, so I thought we'll just try and sneak around the outside there. And then I felt a little hit in the door on the side. So you just heading towards this huge sausage curb, which breaks your car. So obviously, like the last second, I had to have, st- you know, got bumped into there. So I just steered right and um, just thought I'd wait and see what, what was said. So sort of thought I was in front on entry. Wasn't a big deal, but I was just avoiding going across and damaging my car, basically. So um, I'll have to look at it, though, to be honest. I, I tried to make the corner, but I sort of got pushed. So, so that's what I thought. So um, anyway, yeah, that's there's not much too much more to it, but I was... Just I knew they'd be looking at the vision and I was just sort of waiting to, to see what they thought was fair. Stefan, what did you make of it all? Was play on the right call or should Dave had handed that position back? Oh, I, I always hate these ones because I don't think there is a clear right or wrong answer. Like I, I never like seeing a driver deliberately bail out and cut a chicane like that. But, yeah, I mean, Dave was right up there and if he keeps turning it, and they make contact, you might end up with 25 cars in the fence on the exit there. So, yep. yeah, in the end, I, I was pleased to see the officials just let it go and let them race it out. But it was interesting that it was the opposite call in the S5000 race earlier in the same day, which was a pretty similar scenario. Well, it was a nearly identical situation. Oh, like, I really have no issue with that being play on. Um, as you say, a near identical situation at the start of the last S5000 race where Joey Mawson got ahead by cutting the chicane after they sort of him and Nathan Hearn went into the into the chicane side by side or maybe Joey even almost a little bit ahead. Um, he did have to give up the position and I thought that was pretty harsh. It's a single lane corner really and as long as as long as there's some attempt to get around, I think it's okay. I mean to me it's the intention to make the corner that makes the big difference. And that was the difference with what we saw with Davo and Cam Waters in Perth earlier this year, where Cam really gave up any attempt to get around the corner pretty early um, and benefited from doing so. This, this I think, I think Davo was, was prepared to go around the corner. Shane said he only took the apex after he saw that Davo had cut the corner, but I, I don't, watching the replay, I don't quite know how that tracks. I'm not sure that there was, they were going to get through side by side if Davo had turned in and tried to go through there. And obviously when you are on that side, if you get pushed up over that curb, um, you run the the risk of damaging your car pretty quickly and being out of the running pretty quickly. So I, I, I sort of agree. I think I think it was the right call. Um, let's get on to the, to the pile-up that happened a few laps later after James Golding hit a tyre bundle and ended up facing the wrong way at the beach chicane. Uh, after a bruising Bathurst, there was a lot of cars torn up in, uh, in that incident. Uh, at least there's a four-week break to Adelaide, but still I'm sure these teams don't really want to be rebu- rebuilding cars that they only need to race at one more event. Stefan, the tyre bundles and sensors were an issue all weekend. On Friday, there was a problem where the bundles were moved back for the Porsche, Porsche session um, and then not moved closer to the track again for the supercar session um, there was ongoing angst over the consistency of the sensors and even a petition signed by all drivers for the sensors to be turned off which didn't end up happening um, then after the crash there were a few drivers questioning the need to have tire bundles at all the most vocal was nick Perkat, who we'll hear from later in the show uh, Stefan, you and i sat down with race director james taylor on friday to chat about bundles and sensors and he talked us through how it all works and he said that the bundles and the sensors work in harmony together the bundles effectively acting as a visual reference for the drivers and for the officials. Um, he did also say that the whole process will be reviewed next year 
for the Gen 3 cars in terms of bundle positioning and height and so on. And that, again, that was before it had become this big issue in terms of cars climbing over them and ending up facing the wrong way. I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Steph, and where do you sit on the need for bundles and the need for sensors? Well, there's no perfect solution to this one either. I mean, this whole street, street tracks are a compromise, but particularly the Gold Coast with the way it's laid out. And there's been so yep. many different versions of policing this curb hopping over the years and different opinions on the best way. There was that driver petition that was talked about and it seemed there was consensus that the current system needs work, but not necessarily on how to fix it, which is the key thing, obviously. So like some want the sensors turned off, some want the tyre bundles removed, some think it should be just the big sausage curbs and you can just hammer them. But then the teams hate that because they break the cars. So at the end of the day, the sensors are always such a big talking point, a big aggravation in practice and qualifying. But then it does kind of go away a bit in the races. I mean, yeah. there was only one driver in two days who actually got a penalty for exceeding track limits in the chicane, which was James Courtney there on the Sunday when he was already a million laps down. So the drivers know how to back it off that bit when they need to. So I'm just not sure that the system is quite as broken as it might seem from some of the commentary on the weekend. Yeah, I totally agree. And it was quite interesting when we spoke to James Taylor that, you know, he talked about the fact that they don't want to be dishing out penalties. They they actually, when they come up with the secret number of, of what will and won't constitute a penalty in terms of curb strikes, the idea is that drivers are getting really close to it at the end of the race, but they don't incur a penalty. And I think we actually saw that 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 does actually kind of um, kind of work. I, I, I wouldn't be – I feel like it would be a massive shame to lose the visual of the cars climbing those bundles and taking flight. There is this celestial beauty about those cars, and we'd missed it for like three years, and it was so good to have it back. So I'm not sold on binning the tyre bundles at all. I think they really – they're part of the circuit. They're part of what makes it such a fantastic circuit. I wouldn't be totally against getting rid of the sensors. I, I think the sausage curbs and bundles do a pretty good job of policing track limits, uh, and it might even look cooler if drivers are attacking the chicanes even more aggressively. So I think you could do you could do that. I, I, I think we've seen what happens when you do really try and go too far um, with those um, by jumping over those bundles. But yeah, I, I also agree that it's kind of the system does work seemingly okay. Anyway, let's have a listen to what Nick Perkett had to say about those tyre bundles, uh, as well as his view of the Sunday crash and his first weekend working with a new race engineer. Um, you played a pretty central role in that big pile-up in, in race two there. Talk us through sort of what happened, what could you see coming, how quickly did it all unfold? Um, I can't, obviously, you can't see a whole lot you know, past the car ahead of you from how low we're sitting them and, and stuff like that. But I knew there was a bit of trouble as I was up on two wheels on the left and then the right. Um, I could just see smoke and cars going everywhere and thought, it looked like, from what I can see, the crash is going left, you know, with yeah. JC and um, Feeney and Lee. So I thought I was going to sneak. I knew there was going to be something there, but I thought yeah. I might sneak through, but then it was... Um, um, just trying to avoid Jimmy because I, in that exact moment, I didn't quite, couldn't quite tell which way his car was facing. Yeah, so I was actually worried about driver's him. door. And yeah, stuff. I was scared yeah. to hit him in the driver's door. So I just pinned myself against the wall and tried to hit him in the, the front wheel. So yeah, not ideal. The um, you were fairly critical about the tire bundles um, in the t on TV after the crash. It's been a talking point all weekend. Um, you obviously feel that there needs to be a change made to how they go about uh, marking out the chicane. 
yeah, I don't. It doesn't make sense that you have a tire bundle there to stop us cutting the track and the loop. So if we get rid of the tire bundle, we just use the curbs, and the car doesn't fly so high, and you can't actually cut the track much more because you have a timing loop. So. You know, the tie bundle makes no sense. I think it's just dangerous that we have them there. Yeah, I don't understand why we have them at AGB anywhere. I don't think they should be on track. So, um, yeah, for here, it doesn't make sense that you have yeah, a timing loop and a tie bundle. So, so the car actually does climb up onto the yeah. tie bundle. That contributes to the sort of height of yeah. the thing. So if you just run the curb, it stays really low and then it's slow because you have to drive around them. And then if you just clip the tie bundles, it just picks the car up a bit higher and you can, you know, get across the chicane without tripping the loop so you're not cutting the track yeah. um, I think in race one you know, the, when Brown smashed that bundle out of the way there was no timing or there's no bundle it was just a timing loop Yeah, and it was fine we all got through there the cars sit lower they don't hang up on two wheels as much yeah. it's way more consistent so yeah you think you'd be able to reference where the car is and avoid the loops without having those higher bundles there yeah 100% we, it'd be easier because at the moment when you hit the bundle saying qualifying if someone's hit it and moved it and you're next you know you haven't come through there yet yeah. you just get a trip you trigger the sensor so if you just had a curb and a timing loop you would be the same for everyone every single lap yeah. for the whole weekend yeah um this is the first weekend with with adam austin engineering the car yeah that guy yeah it was good it was um really cool to have you know he's been involved in the in the race team for a long time and kind of being mentored by um, you know Carl uh, yeah. lead engineer and, and Terry and you know Debore um, and for him to step up was really, really good it was um, a positive first weekend I think obviously Sunday's a, been a write off but uh, yeah. um, practice speed was really good um, you know we were we were in the hunt to be probably 6th or 7th in Q1 but got a bit of traffic late in the lap so um, yeah it was really good and to be honest if I got it through the turn 1 chicane in that last lap without a bloody hop you know we would have been in, a, in the hunt again today so yeah it was a good birthday You've obviously had a few changes on the engineering front across the season is the idea that, that, that Adam will be your engineer longer term now? Yeah 100% that's uh, the full plan um, and you know for me I would have preferred to go from uh, you know and Jeff where Jeff left um, I would have preferred to go straight in with Adam but yeah. they um, you know the idea was to utilise Shippy a bit longer and yeah. um, do it this way and then get ready for for next year so yeah kind of had to be pretty resilient this year with yeah. <laughs> with what's going on in car 2 it has not been smooth sailing at all um, from that side of things so yeah it's just kind of go with the flow I mean I'm sure there's lots of people that are looking forward to a new generation car coming to sport, but you must be right at the top of the list to be able to sort of... Obviously, there's something in this philosophy that's not quite working for you. Will it be nice to just wipe the slate clean, have another crack with a Gen 3 car? We say that, but, like, honestly, since we found a little drama with the, my car at Sandown, I think I've only been in, like, 0.15 off, 0.2 off Chaz. Okay. Every other track we've been to, um, our car was probably the quicker car at Bathurst. So even here, you know... Friday, we were doing the same time. Yeah. And stuff. It's been fine since. What was the issue? Was it a chassis crack or something? No, like no, that? just um, we actually there was nothing actually physically wrong with it. But, uh, we just changed the rear roll bar system. Okay. And I just get a bit of feel from the car now, so yeah. it's one of those motorsport things. You put that one on the shelf, and I never want to see it again. Even though we, you know, we couldn't find a crack in it or anything. Yeah, it was yeah. Just, it um, just, it just, I yeah. had a couple rounds with that roll bar, and I just lost everything. So uh, 
yeah, ever since we changed that, it's been good. Yeah. But you're sort of confident that Gen 3 might still be a reset that helps you actually show your potential as a race driver in this team? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, the goal always was positioning myself in the correct environment for Gen 3. Yeah. Because um, I thought a two-car team's going to be better. Um, you know, being with a factory team's better. Yeah. Um, all the things that, you know, I spoke about when I moved to Walkinshaw necessarily wasn't this year. I would have loved to have been had a better yeah, year. I'm but sure it's still behind yeah. expectations. Yeah. Like that's, oh, 100%. Yeah. But when you have three, I've had actually four engineers this year yeah. through nothing what I'm doing. Um, yeah. And then you have random stuff like today happened. It's, uh, it's just been one of those years that nothing's really worked out how anyone would have imagined, let alone on track and off track. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars, unforgettable. One last bit of race weekend related content, Stefan. There was an odd situation on Sunday evening where Erebus lodged an appeal for a Will Brown time penalty, which he got for the awkward contact that left Scott Pye nose into the wall near the end of the race. Uh, Erebus paid the $10,000 fee to lodge an appeal and then discovered the penalty couldn't actually be appealed. Uh, Barry Ryan certainly wasn't impressed by how that all rolled out, particularly uh, at the fact that Motorsport Australia hung on to his ten grand. Uh, I grabbed him for a chat about it all, and here's what he had to say. So let's start with the actual incident itself. Obviously, you saw something in the footage or in the data that made you feel Will was hard done by to cop 15 seconds for what went on there. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think there's four cars fighting over the same bit of track and they're all checking up and dodging each other and sometimes somebody gets turned because, you know, Pi turned across to try and get up the inside of Waters under um, behind Winterbottom and... Then he had to then he had to break, and Will was right there on his bumper. Yep. So, you know, him breaking is what made Will touch him. It wasn't like Will did anything irresponsible or careless. It was just it's a racing incident, but it's not the way they viewed it. And to find out that I'd forgotten the rule that you couldn't pedal, yep. which in house penalty, which is crazy, but. It it, it, anyway. it it does. I mean, okay. So you could walk it back and and make the argument that it's a team mistake. Like you say, you forgot that you can't appeal the uh, appeal in in race penalty. But surely there should be a system in place that protects teams from making that mistake, rather than you know the, the governing body just taking ten thousand dollars and then later outlining that it can't be appealed. Yeah, well, the appeal we, we should have just been notified straight away that um, thanks for your uh, you know in notice of intent to appeal, but as as per B, whatever yep. it is in the rules, you can't you can't appeal. Yep. And then they could have just wiped it there and then. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Instead, they they did nothing, and now they're taking out ten grand. So, anyway, it, it does seem like an odd system so far. Yeah. What about <laughs> the the fact that that it can't be appealed? I mean, obviously, an earlier in race penalty is tougher to overturn if it served at a stop. But I mean, there's nothing more simple to overturn than a post-race time penalty because he crossed the line in X position and then gets demoted to Y position. I mean, is that something that the Motorsport yeah. Australia has to look at as well, that this conversation can at least be had, it can be reviewed? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. The way they must look at it is that 
if we got it earlier in the race before our pit stops, we would have served it. Um, so then you'll have people ignoring serving it in the pit stop yeah. to make sure they get to the end of the race and fight it. So I guess that's what they're trying to avoid, that people don't ignore it and then try and fight it later. That's the only thing I can think. Stefan, fundamentally, appealing the unappealable is Erebus's mistake. But should we not have a system where the paperwork and fee isn't accepted in instances like this? And also, I'm not entirely clear on why a time penalty applied to total race time can't be reviewed and potentially overturned. I mean, there, there couldn't be an easier penalty to overturn if it is the final race time. I mean, could, could that not be looked at, do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a fair bit to unpack just in all of that. But, I mean... Firstly, I'm genuinely shocked that Erebus didn't know you can't appeal an in-race mm. time penalty like that. I mean, yep. there couldn't have been a more high-profile precedent case than Bathurst 2016 where there was all that hype about Triple Eight appealing Jamie Winkup's penalty and then it was embarrassingly thrown out for that very reason. So I think it's fair enough that an in-race decision can't be appealed. Like the umpire needs to be empowered to make the call during the game and for that decision yeah. to be final. That's that's my view on that. It just gets messier and messier the more stuff you're allowed to appeal, which which Barry did reference there, the fact that if you get a time penalty early in the race, then you take it at the pit stop, which obviously can't be unpicked later on. So as for the 10K, yeah. I mean, that's obviously there as a deterrent to stop frivolous and knee-jerk protests. So it does feel unjust that, that they've lost it here, but I'm not surprised they didn't get it back because that's the whole point of why it's there. Yeah, I still, I'm still i still a little bit surprised because I think that it, it, I think appealing appealing something that then gets looked at and the appeal or the penalty doesn't get overturned is one thing, but something that can't even be appealed, I think there should be a system to say, well, don't, don't we, we won't accept that paperwork because this can't be appealed. You're appealing something that can't be appealed, so we're going to chuck it out right now. But and and I guess the 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 time penalty thing, the in race penalty thing. I guess the only way it would work is that if it was always added to the total race time, so that you could go walk it back fairly simply. Because as you say, if if you take it at the pit stop, it's done. It it has to stay as it is. You can never go back and say, right, well, this is what happened. But when it's at the end of the race, you could literally say, okay, well. We'll just put that guy back to where he finished without the penalty. So, anyway, it's an interesting one. There was plenty of news flying around over the weekend, Stefan, including what may well be the final piece of the Supercars grid puzzle for 2023. Cam Hill was set to replace Todd Hazelwood at Matt Stone Racing. He'll become the second rookie in the field with Matt Payne. Uh, there were plenty of names linked to the seat. Declan Fraser and Jaden Ojeda spoke to the team, as did Zach Best and Chris Pither. Um, Fraser told me on Thursday that he was out of the running, and Jaden told me the same on Saturday, at which point sources were indicating that Hill is going to get the nod, uh, Cam is currently competing in Super 2 with Triple Eight, and he raced at the Bathurst 1000 with Chris Pither. They were running pretty well until they had a power steering failure. And he's also got Formula Ford and Carrera Cup titles to his name, and the only other drivers to have won both of those are Steve Richards and Dave Reynolds, so he's keeping some pretty good company there. Uh, Stefan, what's your take on Hill being now being the overwhelming favourite to, to land that MSR seat for a rookie supercar season? Oh, it's obviously great for Cam. I mean, it would have been exciting to see any of those young guys you mentioned get a go, but Cam's got great pedigree and he's obviously been able to raise what's required funding-wise to put the deal together, so good on him for that. And it's just the perfect time for him to come in with Gen 3 in terms of that clean slate and getting fresh equipment at a team like MSR. And if you look at 
Cam's last two years. I mean, he's had experience in the Porsche, the Super 2 car, the Gen 2 car at Bathurst, and, you know, even the production car that he won the Bathurst 6-hour in. So he's had good practice adapting to different cars, and I think that's going to that's gonna really help him next year. Yeah, I agree. Look, I think it's a good signing, and I think it's good for him to, to get his opportunity. Again, we, we talk a lot about the pathways, and, you know, I guess – in, on one hand, yes, it's a shame that, you know, if, if Declan does wrap up the Super 2 Championship that he can't automatically turn that into a seat on the grid. But, you know, we've also got to look at the fact that someone like Cam has come through and has done the hard yards and won Formula Ford and won Carrera Cup and also very much deserves a chance uh, to prove himself at the supercars level. Well, the race for the 26th Teams Racing Charter is heating up. Uh, on Friday, Stefan, um, you and I decided to go for a bit of a uh, – was it get out of the media centre and go for a bit <laughs> of a walk and watch some racing cars and get some fresh air, and we almost immediately bumped into our mutual friend Peter Adderton, who promptly told us that he was on his way down to Triple Eight Garage to sort out Jamie Wink up with some cash for a Gen 3 car, and he asked if we wanted to tag along, and we said, yes, we definitely do. Pete, that sounds like a fun little journey. Um and, uh, and it was. Um, Stefan, I mean, realistically, there's not a whole lot of confidence outside of the Boost Mobile camp that Supercars is going to fork over that TRC, but this is still an incredible marketing offensive, right? I mean, doing that at, at the Boost Back event, where, and that was just incredibly well activated and marketed, that was a clever little move as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, he's obviously very good at creating the storyline and it's usually Adderton against the establishment and he's mm -hmm. always got the next card to pull out to keep the storyline going. So, you know, the thing about buying a car is a great stunt. Obviously, we all know you need a fair bit more than, than a car and a TRC to run a full independent race team like he's sort of talking about doing, but... You know, the, the detail is is what it is. I think Supercars probably needs to come out sooner rather than later and actually make a call on this now. Like the circus has yep. gone on. Uh, from a media standpoint, you know, it's it's good for us, but they need to actually pull the Band-Aid off and, and just, you know, probably cop the fan backlash that will come because Addo's really has uh, rallied the, the fans behind it to an extent. But, yeah. you know, talking to other team owners on the Gold Coast, and I'm sure you did the same, like uh, – yeah, there's plenty of blood boiling about about the whole thing, which uh, is just how he likes it. Yeah, I mean, what is considered a more likely outcome for the 26 TRC is that it will end up becoming the second car at Blanchard Racing Team. However, that won't be until at least 2024. So BRT will add a Super 2 car to its stable next year before looking at running two main game cars the following year. Um, Stefan, I'm, I'm always just a bit torn on this like i think that last weekend really did show the value that peter and boost can bring to our sport and the marketing fiber and the fan engagement that you just mentioned like he's built a fan base without even having a team really uh, which is quite incredible and if he ever does start one he's going to have a fan base ready to rock and roll because of the because of, of of this what sometimes seems like this scattergun social media approach which is actually i think very well thought out and not as accidental as it kind of looks um but the idea that BRT should be given its opportunity to expand, you know, after a couple of years as a single car team is hugely legitimate as well. Where do you stand on it all? Well, I mean, I can't actually see Peter Adderton having his own team because part of the drama is always that he's on the move. He's going here, he's going there, he's yeah. he's changing. So that's that's part of the story that he that he rolls out. But yeah, in terms of where this TRC stuff is going to land like the story does seem a little bit different depending on who you talk to but it does sound like the TRC document gives existing teams a first right on that last entry should it be taken off the shelf and 
Blanchard seemingly would get first dibs on it in this case. I would have thought the fairest way would be to just run a tender process for it, probably ahead of mm-hmm. 2024, considering where the timeline's at now. And, you know, yep. whoever puts in the most convincing overall bid would, would get the nod. But, you know, supercars have apparently tried to steer Addison towards hooking up with an existing TRC holder. Obviously, there's plenty out there looking for sponsorship, but uh, yeah. clearly that's not the way he uh, he wants to do it. No, I think he's kind of done that before and he does seem to have his mind set on his own team and has obviously made such a racket about doing exactly that. So it's kind of hard to walk back, at least in the in the short term, um, to do that, which is a bit of a shame because, again, like you say, there's plenty of teams out there that could do with the backing that he can bring. Um, so if he just sort of takes the whole lot until he can have his own show, that's a bit of a shame. But that is really what his, like you say, his Peter Adderton versus the establishment campaign has been built on you know let me do this or i'm going to take my money elsewhere um so mm. yeah it's uh certainly interesting but uh, two two um, months ago he was pulling out of the sport entirely because of the whole thing yep. with with the optus store appearance from from barclay nettlefold yep. so yeah like the the story can can swing 180 pretty quickly oh there's absolutely no doubt about <laughs> that and and if there's one thing that like you didn't get the sense at all that he is a he he's a sponsor that has had it up to here with supercars on the weekend because that it was about as passionate a naming rights backing as I can remember, mm. you know, really for, for, for an event like that in terms of just how hard they went. Um, obviously we've seen Repco step things up in terms of their activation stuff um, at the track, but just the way that Pete just bangs the drum, you know, and like you talked about the helicopters flying around all weekend, all that sort of stuff. It was, you got to hand it to him. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, it was. And um, one of the other things was also like supercars often have uh, school kids come in on on the Fridays. Um, that sort of program's nothing new, but to see them all decked out with a boost hat, I mean, that's pretty clever from uh, from those guys. Like that, they just did a lot of little things right. That um, was was very impressive. Stefan, on Friday there was an interesting statement put out by Supercars regarding fan behaviour. Without referencing any specific trigger for doing so, um, there was a fair bit of noise in the statement, but the crux of it was this line. This kind of behaviour is unacceptable and will not be tolerated. There are consequences for individuals who go too far. Um, Yeah, look, it was kind of hard to get your head around exactly what was trying to be said. You and I, we asked Supercars for a bit more info on what this was all about and basically... It is a response to a request from Chaz Mostert for Supercars to take more definitive action against fan abuse. Chaz is obviously uh, a fairly passionate advocate for you know for limiting uh, abuse in social media with his no social hate campaign. Um, what wasn't clear in the statement, but is the actual story of all this, is that guidelines are being drawn up that will define what is and isn't abuse. Um, and will be used to dish out punishments such as event ejections and bans where appropriate. That's something Supercars um, is working on right now. So that is really the story behind the statement that went out. Um, Stefan, to me, the definition of what constitutes abuse or not is a critical step for Supercars to take, as difficult as it may be, because statements like what went out on Friday aren't, in my opinion, all that helpful like it can drive the idea that you can't afford to care too much about the sport and that's a dangerous message to be sending at a time where engagement is difficult to come by um and we could definitely do with more of it for our sport Uh, what are your thoughts on it all well i mean to be honest this was one of those statements that on first glance to me just looked like a box tick from from an organization 
But as you say, there's actually a lot going on behind the scenes. Like it's a complicated space in terms of what rights supercars has on actually ejecting or banning people and all of that sort of thing. And it's not a unique problem to supercars, obviously. Like it came up at Wimbledon this year where Nick Kyrgios got a fan ejected from the stadium in the final and that fan later took legal action. Um, and then it's something that the footy codes sort of have uh, on their radar too. And it's possibly a bit simpler for footy because you can be banned from the venue or have your membership to the club revoked. There's probably more levers to pull, but yeah, anyway, like Supercars has its newly appointed Chief Innovation Officer, Tim Wattsford, working with its legal department on seeing what can and can't be done. And I think this is an important step in this process. Yeah, for sure. Like, obviously, there are people out there that take things too far, and the idea of banning them from events or blocking them on social media is entirely logical, but... I just always feel we have to be careful to to make sure we're not trying to alter the fabric of sport, which is supporting your favourites and severely disliking the rest, you know? So I just hope that hope that as part of this process, the line is drawn clearly and still leaves plenty of space for passionate support um, because I do worry that if we can make it hard for people to care, they will eventually uh, stop caring. Oh, for sure. But, like, what they're talking about here is is threats against drivers and officials, yeah. like both online yeah. and actually at the track in person, which obviously can't be be tolerated. And I don't know how much of, of that course. goes on, but it's it's up to supercars to step up here. But also I think, like, it's up to the fans on the hill to police their own mates with this sort of thing too if it is happening out there, like, Calling out bad behaviour within your own social circle is a pretty important part of society, I think. Oh, absolutely. And that's some of the examples of threats that we were given feel like things that people standing next to somebody saying that should be like, what are you, what are you doing? You can't do that. That is completely unacceptable. So, yeah, I think you're right there. And that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. We need to draw a very – there just needs to be a clear line on what is and isn't abuse so people can carry on with the normal sporting – you know, the, 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 the support in a way that is passionate because we need that, you know, and we talk about, mm. um, you know, the the driver's parade at Bathurst. Yeah, the guys who support the GM teams should, you know, yell some stuff that is within the acceptable bounds at the Ford drivers. That's part of that's part of sport. We can't lose that. If we lose that, then we're actually in a fair bit of strife because if you don't care about whether your team's winning or losing, then, I don't know, the whole thing doesn't really make sense anymore. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Max Verstappen cruised a victory in the Mexican Grand Prix ahead of Lewis Hamilton and Sergio Perez. Daniel Ricciardo, meanwhile, was slapped with a 10-second time penalty for an early clash with Yuki Tsunoda, but fought his way back to a fine seventh and was named driver of the day. Uh, Verstappen's victory came just days after Red Bull Racing was slapped with a $7 million fine and a 10% cut to its aerodynamic testing time for its salary cap breach. Matt Campbell won gold for Australia at the FIA Motorsport Games in France. His victory came in the GT Sprint event, driving a Porsche run by Grove Racing and Earl Bambert Motorsport. Christopher Bell won the NASCAR Cup Series race at Martinsville to ensure he is into the championship four stage of the playoffs. He'll, jo- he'll be joined by Chase Elliott, Joey Logano and Ross Chastain, who pulled off one of the wildest moves of all time to qualify for that final four. We'll cover that off uh, in a little more detail in just a moment. Uh, but first, Stefan, it's one of my favorite times of the week where we do some window shopping and see what grabbed our eye on my105.com. Uh, last week, I went for a Speedway car, and I'm sticking with the dirt theme this weekend because I found a genuine 2001 Subaru Impreza Group A rally car 
um, that was built by Possum Born Motorsport for the great Possum Born to drive in the Asia Pacific Rally Championship. Uh, Possum won the 2002 Hokkaido Rally in the car, his last rally win before his very sad passing, and it carries the iconic Rog number plate made famous by Possum. Uh, given I'm from Perth and I have a strong family connection to Rally Australia, to the Rally Australia era here, I have a lot of fond memories of watching Possum Born, so this would be a pretty special car to own. I'll admit that POA on the price tag worries me. They don't tend to run that on something that's going to come cheap. But um, anyway, a very, very cool car. Uh, Stefan, what grabbed your eye on my105.com this week? Going by last week, I thought you were always shopping with my money. So the price on arrival shouldn't Ooh. shouldn't worry you at all. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm going with a rally theme as well. I think if the WRX is like the icon of, of modern rallying, then the ultimate classic rally icon is a mark ii ford escort and there's one of those for sale on my 105 at the moment as well it looks like a pretty neat little car and a lot of fun for 44 grand it's over in wa too so uh, maybe you could uh, apply the avl lens to it for me yeah, look, if you need me to go down and, uh, and and give it a test run for you, I'm happy to do it, Stefan. You just tee it up and I'll, uh, I'll I'll be there. I've seen that car. It's down in Bunbury, I think. It's just a, just 90 minutes down the road. I can certainly shoot down and uh, and take that for a burn if you like. I'd be I'd happily do it for you, mate. Well, if, if, you, uh, if you drive it, it might actually knock a bit of money off the price, so that could, could work well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, okay, Castro mailbag time. Uh, Zach... Dow asks, um, if we should be celebrating or condemning uh, Ross Chastain's insane move uh, at Martinsville, just in case someone hasn't seen it, I can't imagine nobody who likes motorsport hasn't seen it at this point because it's got to be some of the most famous footage of all time already, but um, Ross needed to get ahead of Denny Hamlin to keep his uh, playoff hopes alive. He was a fair way back on the last lap, so he decided to basically just throw it into the wall at full throttle, um, bumper his way around the last corner, and it somehow worked, and he popped out just in front of Hamlin um, to get through. Even even Hamlin was like, "Yep, yeah, okay, can't do much about that." That was uh, that was pretty awesome. Um, but it's incredible. But it is kind of like this is a really good question, to be honest. Um, you know, on of course it's awesome. Of course it adds to the entertainment value of NASCAR. And if it hadn't been a discussion point here, um, he was definitely going to be my Castrol Star of the Week this week because it's just. It's, it was an incredible thing to do, but I guess we've also seen people seriously hurt and even worse from full throttle impacts with walls in NASCAR um, by accident. Um, plus, we have these sort of uh, concussion concerns with the next-gen NASCARs because of how stiff they are and that sort of stuff. That's become an issue this year. So I guess... I don't know if I really have an answer, but it's kind of a fascinating case and it would be interesting to see what NASCAR does about it in the future. They've let it fly now. They've said, no, no, it was okay. We don't have a rule to to, to apply any penalty for doing it. But I guess people purposely driving into walls is a pretty dangerous precedent to, to set. What do you reckon, Stefan? Yeah, I think you've probably arrived at the right place on it. I mean, to go back to the question, we should probably be celebrating it and condemning it at the same time, I mean, it was amazing, as you said, um, incredible out-of-the-box thinking, but they can't have everyone doing this every week or on tracks where they think it's uh, it's going to work, so they need to probably uh, draw a line under it now and, and move on. Yeah. 
Alrighty, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week, Stefan. This week, my Castrol star is going to Nathan Hearn. Um, he shook the S5000 bridesmaid tag on the Gold Coast with three comprehensive race wins, uh, and he did so against Joey Mawson, who has become the benchmark of S5000 racing and someone who's been pretty unstoppable over the past couple of years. Um, I think Hearn's performance sort of showed the amazing form that he's in at the moment, um, particularly given like he went into the weekend um, – talking about how, you know, he, he tends to end up having issues in first rounds of champ whenever he's in an S5000 car um, and he wanted to just have a really clean weekend, be really conservative and then go and go full attack in Adelaide. So if that was going conservative, then um, then he's looking pretty good to, to win a Tasman Series here. Plus he's off to the States to race the Trans Am uh, in between the two Tasman Series rounds. So he's having a, a pretty incredible end of the year and that's why he gets Mike Castro. Star. Stefan, who's getting your Castrol star this week? So you're talking about him wanting to be conservative, but didn't he say to you at the press call on, what was it, Thursday, that he was going to go ham and cheese? Um, he did use the phrase ham and cheese. No, no, he didn't say he's going to go ham and cheese. He was talking about push to pass, and he said you might save them all up uh, and go ham and cheese on the last lap. And I, I'm still not 100% sure what that means, but it sounds both delicious and impressive. You uh, you were certainly pretty excited about S5000 over the weekend. It's a good choice for Star of the Week, but um, for someone who's been quite critical of the category, it seemed to uh, get you up and about a bit seeing, no, no, seeing this those is, cars. Yep, no, totally. I, I, I have been critical about it, but this is where it works. It's unfortunate that there was another five or six of them on the grid, but I think if they were doing the same thing next year, there potentially would be. But this was honestly the first time, and I mean this, I'd say in the nicest possible way, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to sound like a tear-up ever. I say this is the first time I went, okay, this can add value to Australian motorsport, this category right now. This is where it makes sense. When they were sitting there doing the photo call on Thursday on the on, over near the beach of Kane, it was like, yes, this is where these cars can add value, and they'll do the same in Adelaide, and hopefully this is the precedent that is set for setting the calendar, you know? Make mm. it four rounds or five rounds or whatever, but have the right events, and these cars add value to our greater motorsport landscape. Yep. Totally agree. All right, Castro Star of the Week for me is Ryan Story this week. He's um, obviously got some ongoing health troubles that have kept him away from the supercars paddock for some time, so it was great to uh, see him out at the track on the weekend. You and I waited for uh, quite some time on Sunday to go up and say <laughs> good day to him. He had a lot of people wanting to do the same. He certainly didn't disappoint. His Donald Trump impression was as good as ever, and uh, it was certainly an enjoyable uh, period of time there just before the race on Sunday, uh, having a good chat to the doctor. He was in quite a hugging mood as well. There was a lot of hugging going on. He was. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's a very good start of the week, and it was awesome to have the doc back at the uh, at the track. He's certainly a big personality, and it's uh, it was cool to see him back. That was uh, one of my highlights of the weekend, although uh, having Dick Johnson come over and say, Ryan, you should stop talking to these flogs was probably uh, one of the lowlights, but uh, <laughs> I guess the conversation had to end at some point. <laughs> these... <laughs> Ah, I wish you were joking about that, but that is exactly uh, exactly what happened. One of the classic Gold Coast 2022 moments. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Now a ticket to Supercars Unforgettable.